Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. We're continuing our theme of you can't love what you don't know. We've been doing that here at St. Basil's for this month, and uh, since January has five Sundays, you get a bonus Sunday of it, all right? This week, what I'd like to do is eventually talk about the, one of the largest characteristics of what it means to be a Christian in our modern world. What makes us distinct from people who don't go to Mass on Sundays, from people who don't read the Bible, people who don't care what Jesus says, teaches. They don't care if he died or rose. It doesn't really matter to them. How is their life and our life different? We're going to get there in a little bit. But to start, what I want to begin with is the notion of what we hear a lot in our culture called the cancel culture. If you haven't heard of this phrase, the word cancel culture refers to people who are offended, disagree, or don't like another people. Just delete them, silence them, get rid of them. Whether it's as mild as an unfriending on Facebook, or it's as aggressive as politically and through the powers of media actively silencing and getting rid of an individual because they said something wrong or made a mistake. It's funny, right? Because our culture is crazy. On one side, we preach total tolerance. You can become, do, act, say, or believe anything you want. We're supposed to give you the space to do that. By the way, if you do something we don't like, we will destroy you. Try being a young person growing up in that. So, and then we say, why, is, why are young people so full of anxiety? Why do they need those little flipper things constantly? They should be fine. I'm, I was fine at their age. And then you send them out in this culture, and they're like, I don't, one mistake and I'm destroyed. What's interesting is, although we have the fancy term cancel culture now, this has been around for a while. What's happening in the gospel today? Jesus goes in the synagogue and preaches to all of them and says, this passage from the prophet Isaiah that all of you have known to look for to the one that God will send that will fulfill you and give you peace and joy beyond your wildest dreams, Jesus says, I'm the guy. I'm him. And it says they're like, they're like so excited. And then all of a sudden, they're like, wait a minute. Isn't that the guy that was like the carpenter's son? This is the one? Like, what? And then Jesus begins to remind them of all the times God, through the history of Israel, chose people that weren't a part of the chosen people. And they didn't like that. The people didn't like being reminded that they needed to grow. They needed to repent that maybe they weren't God. And what did they try to do? They tried to throw him off of a cliff and kill him. Kind of the ultimate cancel culture. So what's the hope? We all just have to agree or pretend that nothing matters and just all like just never have opinions, beliefs, never fight for what's true or good? Obviously not. No heroic person in our lives, no favorite image of someone in movies, no heroic story of war or valor or sacrifice. 
ever got rid of things like truth, justice, goodness, beauty. So how do we do this? How do we transform our culture? Because all of you here at the 1130 Mass are one of two things. And I'm a part of the 1130 Mass, mind you. We're either a part of the healing of the nations or part of the virus. We're a part of the cancel culture or we're going to show another way. What's this other way? Well, you can't love what you don't know. And the other way is love. Oh, Father, what are you, Hallmark cards? Come on. That is part of the problem, right? No offense if you watch Lifetime. My mom watches Lifetime all the time, all right? But the shows like Lifetime or Hallmark channels, or the, it gets so sappy with the word love that we're like, that really isn't going to solve anything, okay? But the question is, what kind of love? What, is it, what does it mean when we even say love? So in our second reading today, we have the great ode of love, right? Love is patient, love is kind. It does not brood over injury. It is not inflated. It does not rejoice over the wrong of others. It believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. And you and I hear that and go, ha, the wedding reading. We know that one. And it's beautiful. So if, you, if you're someone who had that at your wedding, I'm so happy for you. Don't be offended what I'm about to say. It's always exciting, you know, a little teaser, right? St. Paul never wrote that thinking ever about a married couple. That was not written for weddings. That was written for us to understand God. And then second, for us to imitate him. It was first for us to understand what is offered to us through Jesus Christ, and then second, for us to imitate that in the world. Here's what I mean. For us, we have one word in English, love. I love pizza. I love you. I love the color blue. I love, 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 love. It means nothing. In Greek, there's many words. Filial love, right, which is the love between a parent and a child, right? The town Philadelphia is brotherly love, all right? like siblings and equality. Right? There's also eros, which is the erotic love, which isn't what you're thinking right now about that's weird in church, but rather it's the kind of desirous, passionate, moving kind of love. right? It's the affection, it's the intensity, it's the one that makes you sing love songs, or when that guy's saying, you've lost that loving feeling, it would have sounded whereas you lost that erotic feeling, but in Greek that would have been accurate. And then there's a fourth kind of love. It's called agape. Agape love is a disinterested love. Now, that doesn't mean like, I don't care about you. It means I'm not in this for me. I'm in this for you. It's the most stabilizing, powerful, transformative force in the world. It's one of the major attributes of God, and it describes what's happening on the crucifix behind me. It's also why we use it for weddings, because it's actually what the vows mean. Good times and bad, sickness and health, all the days of my life, I'm all in for you. It means I will bestow upon you kindness, blessings, goodness, patience, encouragement, and forgiveness. 
I'm not going to step away, run away, close my eyes, ignore, reject, or abandon you because you manifested a character flaw. Because you sinned. Because you disagree. Because you and I think each other's wrong. I'm not going to stop having a heart of kindness towards you. I'm not going to stop caring for you. That word in Latin is caritas, to care. That's where I get the word caring from, or charity. Love is patient, love is kind. It's not indirect egoism, which is what I do a lot and what you do. I'm not condemning or wagging fingers, although right now I have a finger pointed, don't I? But I got three pointed back at myself. All right, great. What I mean is this is, I'm going to be really nice to this person. I hope they like me. See what that is? That's not me caring about you. That's me ultimately caring about me. I'm going to be nice to you, so hopefully you like me. Or I'm going to get someone a gift, and maybe then they'll remember me at my birthday. They'll get me a gift. Or I better invite this person because if I don't, they might not like me. Or if I'm not, if I say something really hard to this person, what if they get mad at me and yell at me? All of these things are not love. This is called indirect egoism. I'm only being good so that I get pleasure in the end. Being liked, being celebrated, being honored, being cared for. Agape says, I'm going to be good to you even if you hate me. And when you hate me, I'm still going to be good to you. Agape love says, you may actively slander me, lie about me. You may tell everyone all sorts of gossip you've heard about me that might be untrue. And every time I see you, I'm going to have open arms for you. Because I will not reduce you to your ideas and your mistakes. I will not cancel you. I won't try to push you over a ledge. I am in it for you. This is crazy. This is not like in our transactional America. This is really dumb. It's like, oh, you absolutely have an addiction to gambling and heroin. I'm going to give you all my life savings. Go for it. You're like, this is not making any sense. Love is not money. Love is divine. This is why when St. Paul says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not brood over injury it bears all things, hopes all things, and believes all things. He's making a commentary on the cross of Christ. Saying, you and I actively cancel him. We reject him all the time. And how does he think of you when you do that? Oh, that's Sarah. That's Ben. That's Courtney. That's Steve. I forgive them. I love them. I am open to the minute that they turn their heart towards me, I will rush them with forgiveness and encouragement and we will begin to have conversations so that they can grow in the truth. Love, this kind of love does not say, oh, you get to believe whatever you want. No, it has the tough conversation because it says, I know you might not like me, but I want you to flourish. And I won't have that conversation out of anger, spite, or ego. I'll have it out of humble service. In the early church, do you know what brought people into the love of God and the Trinity and saved their souls? It wasn't that they had amazing teachers. It wasn't that they had like 
the coolest property to have nice buildings on to invite people to, or an amazing trivia night we had last night, by the way. What brought all of the people, all of the nations interested in what we believed was they said, look how they love one another. Enemies were praying with each other. People were giving not of their surplus, but realizing I'm going to have to sacrifice and be uncomfortable, but at least I can help him have a meal or her have clothing. Look at how they were willing to say, yeah, they made a terrible mistake. We forgive them. We've invited them back and we're going to work with them so they don't go back there. The arguments about what is right and true weren't done out of ego or political motives. They were done out of a heart that says, I want you to know God and God is truth and God is love. And so I will have patient, kind, joy-filled, compassionate conversations with you. This is what moved people from being, I am this political, I am this political, saying deeper than political parties, we're brothers and sisters. What's wrong with our culture right now and the cancel cultures is we've summed people up by their beliefs. We define people by their mistakes and their words rather than realizing all of us are God's. Everyone you've ever been mad at or you dislike or you don't want to see is willed by God, loved by him, and wanted by him. And those who know Jesus have divine DNA boiling through them so they can love like he loves. So I end with this story. This is a story that I told at the parish mission, but uh, a priest friend called me this week and asked if he could share it. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll tell it again. I got permission to tell this story about a month or so ago. I went and did some spiritual direction with a gentleman who was at a rehab center. He was one of the uh, top, I think he said top five, but I don't remember the number, of like people wanted by the Cleveland whatever it is for selling and dealing drugs. Right? So, and uh, he was now getting clean and dry, and he said, I want a priest. However that happens, it gets to my desk. So I go. So I go and I meet with him, and we're talking, and I said, what was the change for you? He said, well, a drug deal went bad. He goes, and I was beat with an inch of my life. And I was so filled with rage and anger. He said that when I got back to my apartment, my girlfriend was there. He goes, I started beating on her. He said, I picked her up by the neck and pushed her up against the wall. He said, and I was actively, between being high and angry and beat up, I was actively killing her. He said, and while I was had my hands on her, she reached down and brushed the blood off my forehead that was coming down. He said, and I fell to the ground and wept. She was loving me while I was actively hurting her. It pierced him so deeply. Within a month, he got into rehab, and he's been clean at this point almost seven months. This is not weakness. It doesn't just simply let the other person win. It's a divine force released in the world. And at the end of every Mass, we say, go forth, the Mass has ended. Go in peace. Go forth, loving and serving. We always say, go, go, go. And we're like, okay. And then, well, what do we do? We go to release what we've received. We receive the body and blood of Jesus that enables us to love our enemies, and then we release it. St. Paul says, I pour all of these things on top of my enemies' heads. 
Meaning like the love and mercy I pour on top of them. I'm going to love you anyways. My mom always used to say growing up, kill them with kindness, Ryan. Where does that phrase come from? The Bible, the scriptures. This is the logic of God. I will love and forgive my enemies so that our culture can become more human and therefore more Christian and therefore holier. This is how we change the world. Yes, we have to back away from violent people at times, but always in our heart open that the moment they show signs of transformation, repentance, we can offer them our forgiveness and encouragement. It's hard. We all fail. That's why he's merciful to us. But this is our call, and this is how we change the world. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.